Murder in the Black Family. It's your host, Steph. I'm so excited to be back on with you guys, back in the saddle. Um, And so this is definitely a bonus episode. But I wanted to give some updates before we get into our story for the day. So if you're nosy like me and you want to kiki and catch up and find out what's been going on with us behind the scenes here at Murder in the Black, definitely stay tuned. But if you want to just get right into the story, I get it. I understand. If you go to the description right now, I put a timing on when our story starts because I get it. You just want to get right into our true crime story for the day. But... Let's talk about our update. So murder in the black fam. I just, like I said, I didn't think it was befitting for me to just like drop a bonus episode, give y'all that story and then just hop out. Like, no, y'all are family. And I felt like y'all needed to know some updates about what we have been doing here behind the scenes at Murder in the Black and what we've ultimately been up to. Because we've been missing for like a month and a half. Like, we're not going to act like that didn't happen. So, um, our last episode was in March. And that was a story about a missing girl named Lanisha. So if you haven't listened to that, we want you to just tap out for a second, then tap into that episode, then come back. And let's kiki it up, okay? Um, So we decided that that particular story was going to be our conclusion, our conclusion episode of season one here at Murder in the Black. And then MD and I, we sat down together and kind of came up with a framework of what we wanted to do for you guys going into season two. And we're gonna we were going to launch our season two in mid-May for you guys and you know come in with guns blazing. However, in early May, we lost our beloved Uncle Philip. And um although he was sick um, it was a loss because this is the third uncle that MD and I have lost in less than two years. So this is, um, our dad's brother and his brothers that have passed away. And, um, he's from a family of seven. So to lose three uncles back to back like that was just so devastating, um, to just be quite honest with you. And I would say less than two weeks um, of coming back from that funeral, um, our musician at our church um, passed away um, suddenly um, in a car accident. So we have just been kind of underwater here on Murder in the Black, trying to catch our breath. And my mother has said to me that we're in a season of death. And although death is a part of the life cycle, and we can practically say that and like sit in that, but when it affects you personally, it just hits different, right? And so we've been trying to process that. I've been trying to let God lead us in our grief. We're still grieving. We're still trying to process the deaths um, that we have been experiencing here at Murder in the Black. So That has been about 60%, y'all, of why we have been missing in action. 
Um, and I wouldn't be me if I didn't make a joke. Like, seriously, because the 40% has just been pure laziness. I'm not going to hold you up. It's been laziness. It's been... I don't have time for that. How am I going to fit in murdering the black? Like, I got these children. I got, you know, I have all this stuff I need to do. I need to work out. I need to drink water, child. I'm trying. So, 40% has been that. So, I, you know, my husband um, has recently just been like, what about murdering the black? Murdering the black. You doing murdering the black? Y'all quit murdering the black? Y'all some quitters? So, you know, I was like, okay, okay, all right. Shout out to Joe for, you know. Being that troll on my back, I appreciate that. So I said, you know what? No, of course not. I love murder in the black. I love my people with murder in the black. And so we're not going to stop, but we are trying to get our head from underneath the water, trying to prioritize murder in the black because it's something that we started and that we're passionate about. And we know there's a place, there's a space for murder in the black. All right. And like anything else, you have to be consistent. You have to keep going. And um, just because you hit a roadblock doesn't mean you stop. So I appreciate y'all for continuing to support us. Um, I wanted to say that here recently, we just got approved to do sponsored ads. And so we're doing sponsor ads. So anytime y'all listen to our episodes and you be like, oh, girl, oh, child, I'm not trying to hear this ad. Just know you putting a little bit of coin in our pocket. And we appreciate that. Listen, I love so many different podcasts. I listen to so many different ads, too, because I understand effectively that I'm supporting just by listening to the ad. OK, and if I feel the need to, you know, I might go to that, go to the whatever they're sponsoring. I might go, you know, check it out. So that's what we're asking you guys to do. Like, just listen to the ads because you are supporting us. Now, I get it. Inflation is so real here in America. Um, and so I'm not necessarily asking for you guys to do this, but I did want to like shout out anybody who has supported us on a monthly basis, which you can do. So Esther J. Kelly recently, um, subscribed to supporting us monthly. So for 99 cents a month, she decided that she wanted to support Murder in the Black. And I just want to say thank you. Like, I appreciate that, girl. And shout out her. So anybody who supports us on a monthly basis, which you can just go to the description and wherever you're listening to our podcast, and you can do the exact same thing. I just wanted to put that out there. But don't feel like you have to. Life is hard. Times are hard. And if you just listen to our ads, you're doing you're helping us. You're supporting us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But let's get into our story for the day. So our true crime story for the day is a very interesting one. Um, and, you know, here at Murder in the Black, we love to like give our true crime stories a title. And I would say that this one definitely should be called how do you prepare for the unexpected and I think that's just a question that I would like to just ask you as a listener like how do you prepare for the unexpected some people get life insurance right like because effectively like if something happens then this will take care of the people remaining But some things in life, you know, there's just no insurance policy on. Like, we just cannot, we can't, we can't do it. And, you know, 
You think you know the person that you're married to. But this story serves as a cautionary tale that you truly don't know anyone. Let's get into our story for the day. So our story takes place in Decatur, Georgia. And Derek Yancey is the main person in this story. And he's where our story begins. Derek Yancey was from Decatur. And he was 28 years old. And he just basically was coming back to Decatur because... Right when he graduated from high school, he decided to go on tour with his band. And although I don't have just a ton of information about this band, it was something that he took very seriously and he enjoyed. Many characterized Derek as sociable and friendly and just fun loving. And he loved music. That was like the highlight of his life. But at 28, he wanted to settle down. And after touring and going to Japan and other foreign lands, he decided to come right back home to Georgia where he knew people and his family uh, were located just to kind of settle down and start his own family. And that's exactly what he did. And so at 28, he became a sheriff deputy and he was enjoying his job just kind of in the introduction or the setting stage of like starting his his true adult life, you know what I mean? And he was settling down in that. And on a happenstance, he met Linda Thomas. Now, he and Linda knew each other, but they kind of ran into each other one day at a local coffee shop. And he knew it was Linda right when he saw her because Linda had a infectious smile. She was so friendly and he just couldn't even believe it was her. And they started up conversation again. And the reason why he knew Linda is because they were somewhat high school sweethearts. They dated in high school and they went to prom together. And he even tried to get Linda to come on tour with his band after he gra- after they graduated. But Linda said no. And they kind of broke up and went their separate ways. But when they met again in the coffee shop. It was like they never left off. And sometimes, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm definitely going to be telling my kids, like high school relationships often don't work. I mean, like they truly don't. Like you're just with that person for that season and then you go to college and you probably will meet your true husband then or mate, I should say. But You know, some of those high school relationships really do work out. Like, my parents are one of those high school relationships. They dated all throughout high school and throughout college and married. Like, sometimes those situations work out. And this was the situation with Derek and Linda. Like, their situation just worked. So, they were dating and everybody said it was just they were so affectionate so fun loving and they were like you know public with their affection he was always kissing on her always hugging like their relationship was just perfection to everyone who who saw it and in 89 they married and a lot of the reason why they married uh, or some of the reason I guess it depends on who you talk to is because they had a baby on the way Uh, Linda was pregnant with her first child, Sean, and they, you know, I I can say as a woman and as a woman who had my baby before I got married, like when you get pregnant, it's like, okay, I see the future. I want my baby and I want all of us under one household in one roof and I want us to be married. And I'm 
very traditional. I get it. I know every, that's not everybody's dream, but um, that's how I was. And Linda was very much like me. Like she wanted the whole thing put together. So they got married and everything was going well. Like their life was going very well. Well, about two years later, Derek, who was a sheriff deputy, is moved to DeKalb County and he worked in the courts as a bailiff. And so he was responsible bringing, you know, um, you know, defendants in and out of court, taking them back to jail, escorting them back to jail. He also, you know, did everything for the judge, you know, that the judge needed to be done. And Linda really felt secure with that particular position because the imminent danger that often is attributed to police officers, um, you know, working out in the field, um, wasn't there. It became alleviated because it was, you know, he, all he had to do was kind of like more, um, close work with the judge and that imminent danger was not there for Derek. And so Linda really enjoyed the fact that he was a bailiff. Now I have a question for you, Georgians, Georgia folks out there. You not the ATLians, but the Georgia folks. I know ATLians are a part of that. But um as I was researching this case, I wondered if DeKalb County is a part of Decatur. Like is that a part of is Decatur a part of DeKalb County? That may sound like a silly question, but I really don't know. Like we have counties here in Dallas and, um, you know, different, obviously different cities are attributed to different counties. Um, but the way they put it made me feel like, well, maybe Decatur is not a part of DeKalb County, but maybe it is. So if you know that question, go to the description and where we, we ask questions about ep our episodes, y'all. We want you to leave responses. And so I'm going to ask that question. I want y'all to let me know, okay? Because I just want to know for a point of reference. Now, Derek was a really good provider. Um, you know, he pried himself on being a good provider. Like, he wanted to make sure there was various streams of income coming into that household. And he was a good landscaper. And so he would go and fix his neighbor's yards, fix his yards, and he would employ people. And he would just make sure that he was, you know, doing his job. And he actually loved landscaping. He was a good landscaper. You know, he just loved planning and making yards look nice. And so that was kind of like his side hustle to ensure that he was bringing in money. So everything with Derek and Linda Yancey was going very well. Like Derek had a job, being a bailiff, had his side job as a landscaper. He was a great provider. Um, Linda was raising her son, Sean, and just really involved in his life. And so they were like the perfect match and had the perfect marriage. So it came to no one's surprise that two years later, when she became pregnant again, no one was surprised. It was like, they're growing their family. They're doing well. They're thriving. However, Linda's pregnancy the second time around was totally different. And about 40 weeks, her baby was in distress. And so they told her to come in to do a C-section. And sadly, her son was born a stillborn. And 
it devastated Linda, you know, as much as you can think. It was a total devastation for her and Derek. And the way that it emotionally played out, that the the stillborn birth played out in her life, it made her be even more protective of her son, Sean. Now, at the time when she lost her second child, Sean was five years old. He was, a you know, a toddler. Um, you know, about to be a young kid and she was just very protective, but Derek saw her protection as being coddling. Like she was just over, you know, protective and she was just doing too much for the lack of a better word. You know, she was just coddling him and he hated it. And so it was a known tension between Derek and Linda when it had to do with their son, Sean. And arguably so, you would understand why Linda did not want or why she did want to be protective over her son, Sean, because she felt like, you know, she didn't do anything to protect the child that was in her womb, even though that wasn't her fault. That's how she felt. So you could understand how Linda just wanted to just dote on her son and protect her son and make sure that he was safe after losing her other son via stillborn. So, you know, it just was a natural disdain between her and her husband. It was just like husband versus wife over their child, Sean, at a very young age of five years old. So that caused some difficulty in their relationship. But six years later, um, you know, Derek came home and told Linda, hey, listen, I think it'd be good if you start to work. And the sheriff's office has an opening. You love to help people. I think you should apply. So she applied to become a police officer and they hired her in DeKalb County. And they, um, she was a deputy sheriff who worked with juveniles. And her hours were kind of off. And so that kind of left Derek to be kind of the, not the main provider for for Sean, but he definitely was um, more involved now that Linda was working. So her hours were from three to 11 and she just missed the time that she had with her son. And being a stay at home mom myself, like when you're with your kids all the time and then you go to a traditional job, you have mommy guilt. It's real. Like you feel like I should be doing everything for you. And even though you've signed up to do this with a partner, right? Your husband, you still feel that guilt of, I need to be doing everything for you. And so she just missed the time that she had with her son. And it was even less time for her and Derek, but they tried to, you know, continue to work on their relationship, but there was a known jealousy within the family. Um, Derek was jealous of the relationship that she had with her son. And I think could, could there have been, this is a question I'm posing for you guys. Could there have been, um, a justifiable jealousy? I don't know, but I think when you dote on your kids, when you're married and you don't, you put all your emphasis on this child and you don't divide up your attention with your spouse, I think it causes tension. It causes a lot of tension. And so Derek was jealous of the relationship that she had with Sean. I mean, it was noticeable. 
And, um, you know, they decided after she started to work that they were going to buy a house and they had the income to do it. They were doing well. And so they bought this house. It was a source of pride for them because it was the American dream. Like I'm married. I have my child. I have my husband. We're working. We're doing the doggone thing. And they were. They bought their house and they had their dream career. And, you know, it was just it was amazing. Like, even though they had their issues, they were still doing very well. So, like I said, y'all know from the beginning, Derek is not somebody who was just easily satisfied. He bought his home, but in addition to buying his home, he went and bought up rental properties. So, he would buy a home and then rent the properties out to, you know, have the cash coming into their household as just various streams of income, right? And Derek was very flashy. Like he was known to carry up to $1,500 in cash on him. Like he, if you ask Derek for a dollar, you know, Derek would, you know, casually just pull out $1,500, fly past the 20s, the 10s and the fives to give you that one. He was that guy. He loved to flash his money. And Linda was the opposite. You know, she just, she was very humble very reserved. She wasn't flashy and she just was humble. She was the antithesis of Derek. And, um, you know, they were doing their thing. They were working, they had their home and then Linda gets pregnant again and they welcome to the house, a baby boy named Carl. And Derek was ecstatic. To be honest, the whole family just were elated that they had another child in the home. But Derek was very hard on Sean. And at this point, Sean is, he's older. And it was noticeable that Derek just did not like his son, Sean. And he was very easy on Carl. But I mean, it was understandable. It's more easy to love a baby who can't talk <laughs> and who is dependent on you for every single need than it is to have to deal with a teenager who can talk back and who has something to say. And that was noticeable. And Linda always found herself trying to balance that relationship, trying to balance the relationship with Derek and Sean and be in the middle of it. Um, and just make sure that her son, Sean, was being treated fairly with his own father. So the situation between Derek, Sean, and Linda quickly became a us versus them situation. Sean and Linda versus Derek. And the lines were clearly drawn in the sand. And it was Linda who was constantly trying to, you know, balance it out, trying to smooth things over between her husband and her son. But it was known that it was just, it was a contentious relationship. However, in 2007, like the rubber meets the road and the lines are clearly drawn. In 2007, Sean is 17 and he's upstairs listening to hip hop in his room. And like most teenagers, they turn it up loud. And so Linda initially goes into the room and tell Sean to turn it down. Sean is just like, you know, why am I turning this down? For Derek so he can feel okay? Like, no, I'm not doing it. As I previously said, Derek was a music buff. He loved the genres of music that he loved. Let me be specific. 
He loved jazz and he loved R&B. Anything else like the quote unquote gangster rap. I don't like to call it that because I love rap and hip hop. But, you know, the gangster rap that the parents didn't like because it was overly violent and had a lot of curse words. Um, He didn't like that. So when Linda went upstairs and told Sean to turn it down and he did not, Derek went right on up the stairs and told him to turn it down again. Well, Sean, like a teenager, again, says no and like turns the music up. Well, Derek has had enough. He's like, you're not going to you're not going to disrespect me. I'm sick of this. He takes a handful of Sean's clothes and jewelry and he takes it outside and he sets flame to it. He burns his clothes up. And at this point. Derek gets physical with his son. He pushes his son. His son then retaliates with a punch and they begin to just tussle in the yard. Now, Linda is shouting and yelling for them to stop, but they do not stop. And so while she doesn't necessarily want to call the police because they are the police, she calls them anyway, because there's just no way that she can make sure that the situation stops. So she calls the police and Derek was arrested and charged. He was the adult in the situation and they charged him with assault. And Linda or Sean didn't want to prosecute. So he kind of stayed in jail for a couple of days. And once they realized that they weren't going to prosecute and neither was the state, he was released and he was able to go back to his job. But the tension in the house was just so thick that Linda knew she could not have her son in the, in the house anymore. Like it was it was now a situation where. He can't stay with us because y'all don't know how to get along. And so she, her hand was forced and she had to send her son, Sean, to live with her sister. And she just hated that Derek put her in this position where she had to kick out her own son. You know, the, the same son that was, you know, that she raised and, and was so protective of because of the loss of her second son. It was just, it was such a unfortunate situation that she had to be put in. So it caused even more tension on Derek and um, Linda's relationship. So Derek moves out of the bedroom and into the basement. And this is where their relationship just starts to just fall apart. Um, Derek begins to think that Linda is cheating on him because she comes in late. But if you guys remember, I said before that she had this really late shift from three to 11 and, you know, they weren't sleeping together. So he wouldn't, he really wouldn't have any real clue to when she would get home. And so he concluded that she was cheating and that was contention. And so when friends and family would call to talk to her, he would hang up on them. Or just not give her the phone at all. Or not pick up the phone. And once she realized that these little games were going on, she was just like, you know what? She sat down. She went to the basement with him. And she was just like, I want a divorce. Like, this marriage is not working. I'm ready to be done. I don't want this marriage anymore. And he just couldn't believe that that's what she wanted. But he didn't necessarily fight her on it. It was like a understanding. 
Like, we're not getting along. We probably need to get a divorce. But deep down in inside of Linda, she really respected marriage and she grew up very traditionally. And so she knew that while she probably didn't really want her divorce, she knew she needed a separation. And so she was kind of gearing up for that to happen. So one day, you know, while she she decides to send her son, um, her youngest son, Carl, over to her sister's house. And Shauna was already gone to her other sister's house anyway to stay. She just decided to have like a me day where she was going to pack up a couple of her things, try to transition herself into living separately from Derek. And on this particular day, Derek gets up and he decides to go pick up a day worker because, as I said before, he did landscaping jobs. And so often he would pick up different workers who needed a job um, and they would work for work with him for that day. So he goes and he hires a day worker. Now, this day worker's name was Marciel, and I might not be saying that correctly, but I believe it's Marciel. And he was from Guatemala and he recently came over to the country from Guatemala and was just trying to make a way for himself, just trying to get wages for his family and was just a humble guy who just wanted to work. And on this day, you know, Derek commissioned him to come work for him. The same day Derek picked up Maricel is the same day that Linda was at home by herself trying to relax, but also trying to put some things together to where she could move on and separate from Derek effectively. And so um, shortly after Derek picks up Marcel, 911 gets a phone call that they should come out to the Yancey residence because there has been a shooting. When detectives arrive, they find grass clippings downstairs. They also find Maricel with a gun in his hand. He's been shot in the chest and he is deceased. And then they find Linda and she has a gun shot to her temple and also a gunshot to her chest. Now, they find Derek on the couch crying and Derek said that he was downstairs and Linda came in the room and asked him for money. Now, we all know that Derek, he just carries around a lot of cash. So he pulled out a wad of cash to give to Linda, and he does. But when he's giving this money to Linda, Maricel comes into the door. And Maricel has a gun in his hand, and he says, give me that money. He's directing that to Linda. And Linda, in shock, doesn't do a thing. And at that point, Maricel shoots Linda in the temple and then shoots her in the chest. And then Marcel doesn't see as he's shooting Linda that Derek has his revolver, his work revolver on him. He pulls it out and he shoots a kill shot to Marcel in the chest. And he said, that's what what happened. It was a robbery gone wrong. And so the police, you know, they said, okay, you know, and and they kind of said, you know, that sounds right. That looks right. We're going to investigate this. And they are able to quickly, um, you know, give the body over to the family and they memorialize Linda. And the family is completely devastated, especially her son, Sean. Um, You know, Linda was 
his ride or die. She was the person that was always for him, his greatest supporter. And now she was gone. And all he had left was this father who he did not get along with. And so there was strain and strife and just grief um, within the Yancey family. Now, the police did not just rule this a robbery gone wrong. They did an investigation. And what they found out is that the shot that was the, the, the chest wound that Linda received was actually close. It wasn't from six or seven feet apart, as Derek alleged. It was actually somebody who got up on her and shot her in her chest directly. And that didn't match Derek's story. The other thing was, is they found out that the gun that was in Marcel's hand belonged and was it was registered to Derek. And so they wondered, how did Marcel get this gun? Now, Derek told the police that he had various guns throughout his home. But the particular gun that Marcel had, he kept on top of his refrigerator. Now, context, Marcel was about 5'2 and 120 pounds wet. He was a small man, small stature, small weight. And the police just knew that Marcel probably could not, not even probably, he definitely could not have seen the top of the refrigerator to retrieve that gun. But they kind of went along with it. But the kicker was, is that Marcel was not left-handed. Marcel was right. And the gun was found in his left hand. So the police knew then. They said, uh-uh. Something in the water ain't clean. Something is not right. But the thing that tipped the scales for them is they were going through papers they found out that Derek and Linda were in a tremendous amount of debt. They just old, old, old people. Um, as I said previously before, Derek um, was renting out homes. He was behind on mortgage payments. And he took out, unbeknownst to Linda, a $700,000 life insurance policy. And it doubled if it was murder. So at this point... They indicted him for double murder. They said, you know what? We know you did this, sir. They indicted him, but he was able to put up bond. And actually, his mother took out, um, she put up her house for his bond. And so he was put on house arrest. But in April 2009, as he was awaiting trial, he snipped his house arrest band off and he fled. Now, that happened like on a Sunday and the authorities did not report it until like late Monday. So Derek had like a head start on the police and the police were looking for him. They spotted him on a Greyhound bus heading towards Los Angeles and they just lost him at that point. They knew he got on that bus, but then they couldn't find him. So they wanted to put pressure on his mother because they knew like if he doesn't return, we have, we could take your house. We have that option. And one of the investigators said, they were like, listen, we didn't want to take the mother's house, but we was going to take the mother's house. Because if we couldn't find out where he was, he was a danger to everyone. So they threatened the mother, of course, with this information. And they said, hey, if you don't tell us where your son is, we're going to take your home. And it was at that point that she spoke up and she said that, you know, he gave her, he actually called her. And he didn't say where he was, but he said he was safe. So they got her phone records and they were able to see that he was in Belize. 
He had made it all the way to Belize and they were able to uh, pick him up and, you know, get him back into custody. Now, Maricel was, well, I will say this, the police at that point kind of pieced the story together. They believe that Derek called Linda down to the basement or down downstairs and he just shot her in her head first. And out of anger, he then walked up to her and shot her directly in her chest, which split her heart in half, literally. Then after he killed Linda, he called Maricel down to the same place downstairs and then he killed Maricel and he planned this out. The police said, you know what? He planned this out to the T. The only thing that got him caught up is that he did not watch Maricel throughout the day to see which hand Maricel used. If he had, he quite, he pretty much could have got away with this crime of killing both Maricel and Linda. So Maricel was a puppet. He chose Maricel because Maricel was small. He was somebody he could overpower. And also because he was an immigrant. And he felt like he could take advantage of that narrative that people spew in the U.S. That they are, you know, that they're just evil and they want to commit crimes, which is not true. But he tried to create that narrative with Maricel. All to kill Linda so that he could get himself out of debt. And... On November 3rd, 2009, he pleaded not guilty to double murder, but he was found guilty and he is currently serving two life sentences. He's not eligible until for parole until he is 110. So effectively, he will never get out of prison. And even if he does, he'll be on his deathbed. This story is so interesting um, I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, Linda thought she was going into a marriage with a person that she trusted, a person that she knew from high school. Um, she built a life with this person. She built a family with him. And in the end, he killed her because of jealousy and because of money. A hole that he digged for himself. And ultimately, he effectively took his life because now he's in prison for the rest of his life. And he took his wife's wife. He took his wife's life. I'm sorry, that was a tongue twister. And for what? Now, Sean or or their youngest son is not able to have their parents. And the hate that Sean had for his father is somewhat justified. You know, the anger that he always felt for his dad and then for his dad to turn around and shoot his mother. It's just so incredibly sad. But not only that, the one thing I liked as I was researching this story is that Linda's family said this. They said, you know what? We do not want Maricel's story to just be a side story inside of this heinous crime. Kate was murdered and for nothing. He was 
Derek's puppet. And for what? He was just trying to work, trying to make a wage for his family, trying to give them a better life. So I pose this question to you. What or how do you prepare for the unexpected? Do you ever truly know anyone? I don't know. But make sure you answer that question in the description box. I'll see you next time for another bonus episode here on Murder in the Black.